organizations and workplace event organizers or whatever have a really big responsibility to stop this assumption that everybody drinks. It just has to stop. It actually has to stop. It's utterly ridiculous. That just cannot carry on. You can protect people, but not jobs. Which I mean by that is, you know, technology will continue to advance quickly, right? And you can put your head in the sands and think, well, you know, we're absolutely fine. We're not going to embrace it, but your competitors probably will be. When American worker asks their manager about something and the American manager says, I don't know, that is fairly acceptable for the American worker. My manager doesn't know. In a hierarchical culture, when the manager says, I don't know, that comes across as losing credibility. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast hosted by Andy Lapata, the show where Andy and his guests explore the many ways in which relationships impact business decisions, make leaders' jobs easier, and help you to progress your career. Hello and welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast. I'm Andy Laparta. Thank you very much for joining me. My guest today is going to talk about something we, we've touched on a lot over the course of various series of the Connected Leadership Podcast, but I think it's a good time to do a deep dive into it, and that's the importance of cultural intelligence. It's relevant to leaders who manage multinational teams and have people from different backgrounds, different nationalities, different first languages that they need to feel included and they need to build strong relationships with and also for people who maybe work internationally or even in a melting pot like London or New York and they have a multicultural team. And again, you don't want to be making some people feel a little less included than others. So my guest is very well qualified to talk about this. He's the author of Good Business in Any Language and hosts the Thriving in Global Markets podcast. And his mission is to help businesses ensure that their message is heard in each and every single language. So welcome to the Connected Leadership podcast, Levent Yildiz Gorin. Thank you, Andy. It's great to be with you. I look forward to our conversation. So do I. I think it's a really interesting topic and one that, as I say, we've touched on in the past, but it makes sense to explore a little bit further. I'm going to start using or exploring one of the terms that you like to use. And everyone who listens to the podcast, I know, will have high IQs, of course, naturally, and will be familiar with the concept. And I would imagine most of our listeners will be familiar with the concept of EQ. And there have been many variations on the theme over the years. Most recently on the podcast, we, we talked about LQ, learning quotient. You have mm. your own version of this, which is CQ. So can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Yeah, absolutely. And the cultural quotient is very much the ability to be able to deal with different cultures. This could be going on a holiday, business trip, and in terms of leadership, working with uh, multicultural teams. And in today's environment, it is so regular. I have a friend who is a project manager. He's actually a program manager. He works with teams in the UK and the teams in India. Quite different time zones, as well as quite different approach to timing, politeness. It is actually every day that we come across working with other cultures. So it's very much cultural intelligence, understanding what to do and not to jump to wrong conclusions. Because it, it, when there's a lack of cultural intelligence, we look at everything from our own lens. 
So I would assume that cultural intelligence comes more naturally to people who have uh, a high degree of empathy. Would that be a fair assumption? I think empathy is very important. When we have empathy, we take signals a lot easier than others. We feel for the others. That helps a lot. But in my opinion, cultural intelligence is something to be learned. And I mean, if I can give you one example, as you may know, I am originally from Turkey, but I lived longer in the UK than I lived in Turkey. So I like to think that I'm accustomed to Turkish culture as well as British culture. And to understand how wrong I was in this last April, returning from my dream motorcycle uh, tour of Europe, Turkey with a friend of mine, I got bitten by a stray dog and my leg was bleeding. So I had to rush to the hospital in Turkey for rabies injection. So me going into the hospital and getting the right papers and go to going to the right departments to get the injection. And there I realized that the cultural intelligence is something really needs to be exercised and lived by. And a very helpful lady, because seeing me sort of in a kind of panic situation, because, you know, my leg's bleeding, I need to get the rabies injection. So she said, I said to her, where do I go? She said, the Go to this corridor. It's the door on the left-hand side. Very polite and everything. I went to the corridor. There are three doors. Which doors? Which is the one on the left? So I went back to her. I said, which one is it? She said, look, it's the one that people work in. So I went back there. Still not, penny is not dropping. So instead of going back to the reception desk, I asked one of the people there. I said, which which door is it? He said, yeah, the one, open, the one that the door is open. So the directions that she gave me was perfectly clear for it, <laughs> for somebody who lives in Turkey and who's sort of accustomed to Turkish culture deeply. It was very clear to her. But for me, maybe wearing my British culture hat is, but there are three doors. Which one is it? And so I kind of experienced this and realized that actually cultural intelligence is not to be assumed and really needs to be worked on almost on daily basis if somebody is working with different cultures all the time. Yeah, that could lead to a lot of awkward misunderstandings if you're not <laughs> if you're not quite sure what people mean by something like that. So I guess that leads me to ask you: we need to be accepting. If you've got to work on cultural understanding time and time and time again, you've really got to get under the skin of a different culture. Because bear in mind, people that have been raised their whole lives in in Turkey, for example, they don't even think about these differences, just as we don't think of the differences. If, if, you know, I've been born and raised in, in the UK, you've lived here a long time. It becomes second nature or first nature, effectively. So we don't understand when people get things wrong that it's so unfamiliar to them. So that would lead to naturally potential clashes. Uh, Misunderstandings can lead to arguments, can lead to offence being taken. Yes, totally unnecessary stuff. So all of these things can come out of a simple misunderstanding because we're raised in different cultures. So how do you create the the bond and the trust with team members, for example, or clients, other states? stakeholders where you are open about the fact that you're trying to learn and understand and that they are patient with you allowing you to do so without patronizing them. No, I mean, that's really good comments there and then good question. When we say about somebody, we say they're a really good communicator. What do, what do we mean by that? They are a good communicator from our cultural lens. We are, you know, 
we are an Anglo-Saxon British community. And for us, I say us because, I mean, I lived longer in the UK than I lived in Turkey. For us, a clear communication is like telling something clearly, precisely, without any ambiguity, straight to the point. And like Americans say, tell him what you want to say, then tell him what you said, and then repeat that what you said to them. That's a clear communication from that lens. Now, this is such a relative concept. When we look at the Anglo-Saxon culture, which is a low-context culture, communication is always precise, clear, and there's no ambiguity. There's straight to the point. In high-context cultures, that comes across as almost, like you said earlier, patronizing, because that's making it so clear that person who is receiving the information may think that this person doesn't trust me because it's telling me everything step by step. So there's no right or wrong in either cases because each case, each person is looking at it from their cultural lens. If we turn this around and a low context, an American executive or British executive asking for a report from a Chinese, which is a high context culture, a report, for instance, now, China is one of the countries with a high hierarchy. Hierarchy is very important. For a Chinese uh, professional to send the report, they probably need to ask a couple of people before sending that report. And not understanding the cultural aspect, person on this side may say that these guys are so lazy. I asked for a report. It took them a day to send it. I mean, come on, you know, the other way is it happened to me recently when a, a Chinese customer asks a question, I send it to them in five minutes and only for them to ask this similar question again, because then now I realize, you know, preparing for your podcast and polishing my knowledge and everything, I realized that because I went to them so quickly, they thought I was being, I was rushing, or maybe I didn't understand their question. So they were just paraphrasing their question. It is all about being aware because your podcast is about leadership and leading teams. It may not be in a CEO level. It could be a project manager because project managers during the time of the project, they need to lead the customer, lead the suppliers, lead other people involved in the project. So leading is quite an interesting concept. And for them to be aware of all these aspects is so important. My friend who is a program manager dealing with teams in India, now he knows that the no is very, it no will not come in no format. Now, if I ask you a question, Andy, shall we do this in two weeks' time? Or are you available? Or what do you like about this? You'll say, well, I'm not interested. That's for me. That's, the, you know, uh, yes or no. In high context cultures, there's no no in a simpler format. So he needs to listen very carefully to understand that if there's a a milestone and is approaching, you know, in a week's time, you know, are they up to date? He needs to listen to the team very carefully before he reports back to his superiors. Yes, we are on target. Or, you know, I have a contingency. We may have a delay on this. So listening becomes so important. And like you said, empathy, because without empathy, it is difficult to understand or difficult to expect differences in culture. It's a fascinating area and it's full of pitfalls. I, th I think, you know, having experienced it myself, I, I've worked abroad with clients in, I think it's 26 or 27 countries. Yeah, you, it, you've it, been globetrotting. 
<laughs> yeah, so, and that's just in person, more virtually, particularly in the last few years. You do have to be aware of it. You do have to be conscious of it. You do have to understand the rules. And I may ask you about that if we have time in this conversation. But at the same time, I think that you can run the risk of assuming that a, a, a national culture accounts for every action of every individual you meet. So there is a balancing act. And so we were talking about this at the weekend with friends. The, yeah. I actually think that there's there are times I felt that I have more in common uh, with other speakers or entrepreneurs in Iran where I spoke than I might have with people at home because those people, even though we come from very different national cultures, and I've purposely picked a, a, a country which has a very yeah, defined yeah. and distinct difference to, to Western Europe and, and an Anglo culture, despite that, I still feel that what we do for a living, the challenges we face, the conversations we have mean yeah, that we probably have yeah. it more in common uh, than separates us. So wh where is that line between how much our national culture and upbringing uh, defines us and how much what we do, who we talk to, the challenges we face defines us as adults? It's a, it's a very good question. And to be honest, it requires working on like almost on case by case cases. Now, if we don't take into the personalities and individual cases, it is very easy to jump to stereotype conclusions. So treating all Italians, all Latin Americans, all Americans the same way. And like Iran, Iran is a high context culture. Their approach to silence, I once, I don't know if you experienced that, I was once talking to a, a consultant when he first went to Iran for, for his business. And when he thought the meeting was about to start, there was a silence of about 15 seconds. To him, he said it was like, five minutes. And at that time, he didn't know what to do. Are they upset? Are they angry? Are, you know, why there's silence? They didn't like me. It was then he realized that it was their way of grasping the atmosphere, you know, setting the scene and kind of processing and there's no rush, you know. So afterwards, then he realized. I don't know if he experienced anything similar, but thinking that all professionals from Iran will be the same would be a gross mistake. And then nobody likes to be judged by a stereotype. I mean, people may think that people in like France wearing, you know, berets and going around with their onions around their, you know, like, I mean, that would come across quite an insult. Actually, can I give you a very expensive mistake, but very interesting one in 2015? I mean, the culture is so interesting. It is so easy to impress somebody, but at the same time, insult them if not done properly. A very good ex example is in 2015 or 18, quite, sort of quite recently, Dolce Cabana decided to do a, a social media campaign in targeting Chinese consumers. Apparently, in luxury goods, China is the third biggest, I mean, one third of the luxury goods shoppers come from China. So it's such an important market for them. So they decided to bring some humor into that. And they said, you know, a, a Chinese model eating pizza with chopsticks and saying stuff, pretending to be doing a Chinese accent, but in a kind of, it came across as like mockery and it created a massive uproar in China. Chinese were up in arms and they started boycotting Dolce Cabana. The people who were sponsoring them pulled, <laughs> pulled back their sponsorships. 
the, the stars and actresses who were part of them, they sort of said, we have nothing to do with them anymore. And it was a very, very expensive mistake for Dolce Cabana. It took him like, I don't know, about a year to repair the damage by apologies and stuff that they must have because of, you know, they have a certain product and clientele. So they did it. But it was a very expensive mistake. And to be honest, totally unnecessary because they thought from their cultural lens, they thought that it would be really, really funny and it would make them a lot of friends. None of them thought about consulting a Chinese professional. It couldn't be about money because, you know, they have money. So it was a totally a mindset that led them to say, well, it is funny for us. It should be funny for them. And how wrong they were. <laughs> If you're in a leadership position and would like to review your own professional relationship strategy, you may be interested in booking a 15-minute call with Andy. Please visit andylapata.com forward slash discovery to find out more. I was actually going to ask you about whether they had actually consulted anyone who is Chinese. It reminds me, I've mentioned this book a few times on the podcast, but not for a while. There's a book about cognitive diversity called Rebel Ideas by Matthew Syed. Excellent oh. book. And if I remember rightly, it opens up with his explanation of why the 9-11 terror attacks came as such a surprise. And what he explains is that the American security services didn't actually employ any Muslims or I anyone see, from the I background see, to understand. So when they saw video, Al-Qaeda leaders and the famous Osama bin Laden, Osama bin Laden. It, it, yeah, in, in a cave, they wrote him off as not important and of no impact. Yeah. And they didn't understand the Quranic references not just about being in the cave, but where he was and a lot of the paraphernalia around him and what impact that would have on Muslims who were watching his videos and so forth because they didn't have anyone to sense check it with. Yeah. So yeah, I, yeah. I think one of the important things to take from what you're saying is that whatever you're doing, whether it's a big advertising campaign of the type that you're talking about with Dolce and Gabbana or whether it's just before you go into meetings overseas, you're going on an international trip or you're going to welcome new members of staff or whatever it might be, Have people around you that you can talk to openly and, yeah. and say, what do I need yeah. to know? What do I need to understand and run things past them? Does that not come as well into the way we react to how other people behave, like the way that, you know, your Chinese clients reacted to your speed? Before we respond, we need to seek to understand and we need people to help us do that. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, indeed. And, and it is not that difficult, especially in circles where there's a lot of resources. Okay, for a small business, you know, their CEO goes to visit China. He may be forgiven to make a mistake. He may be forgiven not to know or not to have resources. But in, in those multinational levels, I don't think there is any excuse, you know. I think it is really about the the mindset and and thinking that, well, it's funny for us, it'll be funny for them. It's, I mean, considering France, Germany, Belgium, Holland, you know, within close proximity to UK, but how different are the cultural approaches? I heard from people I know that they said that the country they visited for holiday, they said people are so impolite. I said, you know, what led you to, to that belief? I went to a bar. The barman said, what can I get you? In England, they don't do it like that. They say, hello, you know, what can I, you know. 
there will be like maybe a small talk or maybe say, they may say, please. In that country, they just said, what can I get you? To the point. And they expected exactly what they accustomed to be in, in their home country, in other countries. I think that does lead to problems. I think earlier when you said empathy, I think empathy comes into play there because we can't know, we can't know every culture. It is very hard, but the empathy is really helpful because from the body language, it is possible to work out if there's an anonymous, you know, if there's anything like hostile or friendly or neutral, because neutral is good as well. We can't expect to be treated like celebrities wherever we go. So neutral is, neutral is fine. The empathy, I think that can be helpful. You've reminded me of a story that was in the newspapers early this summer of a British woman. And this is, I talk about cultures, this is one of the most British stories I've ever read. But a British woman went on holiday, came back and she's suing the tour operator because there were too many Spanish people staying at the Spanish hotel where she went and they were rude. So she was asking for compensation from the tour operator because the Spanish, there were too many Spanish people in the Spanish hotel and they should <laughs> go on holiday somewhere else was basically the, the story. That's hilarious. It, it is. It, it's, it's both hilarious and horrific at the same time. Going back to the Dolce and & Gabbana and, and just generally how we deal with those misunderstandings, because you talked about it, it took them years to put that right and all the apologies and so forth. And I know you yeah, made the yeah. distinction between a big budget corporate advertising campaign and individual relationships. I'm more focused on the latter, on the individual relationships than the big budget yeah, advertising yeah. campaign. But are there cultural differences in how we handle things and how we should handle things when we get it wrong? I'm thinking, for example, if you're dealing with Southeast Asian Chinese cultures where the importance of maintaining face is important. And, and oh. a lot of Western cultures have our own version of that where we don't want to admit we've got things wrong. So yeah. are yeah. there different ways and different cultures of handling that? If I turned around and said, I am really sorry, I got that wrong, would that land differently in some cultures to others? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very good question. There's high hierarchies and then there's like egalitarian cultures in business. That is the distinct difference. And apparently, and when American worker asks their manager about something and the American manager says, I don't know, that is fairly acceptable for the American worker. My manager doesn't know. In a hierarchical culture, when the manager says, I don't know, that comes across as losing credibility. And we don't have to go far. Even in France, apparently 85% of the people or workers when they face that answers, I don't know, they think less of their manager. So this is one aspect. The other aspect is like accepting criticism. That could be a, a major differences for which a leader, whether it's a project manager, whether it's a sales manager or CEO of the company has to be aware of. In a egalitarian culture, you can easily say to me, I'll give an example from myself. You can say in a group of 10 people or five team meeting, you can say, Levant, you did this a week ago. Your reply to the customer contained errors. And can you please make sure that it doesn't happen again? And, you know, I can comfortably say, ah, thank you for letting me know. I appreciate that. I make sure it will never happen again. When the team is made of different nationalities, then I say nationalities. It's not correct, actually. I should say different cultures because a Chinese person who has been brought up in the UK, you know, 
will have the British business culture. A bit like me, I, I realize that I'm more in the working business culture, I'm more British than, than I'm, I'm Turkish. And so when the team is made up of different cultures and the high context culture person has been criticized, that can be devastating to them. So the leader or manager in that context has to be aware of that because at the end of the day, why do we give feedback to improve things, to overcome barriers and you know to give better service to our clients? So the leader in that case, they do this in private. That feedback will be received 10 times more productively than criticizing them in a team environment. On a similar point, but slightly different, in team meetings, and the team is made of different cultures, a leader needs to be aware of the fact that the high-context cultures, people from high-context cultures, need to be encouraged to express opinions. If they are not encouraged, they will not express opinions. And other people will think that they are not interested. I've done this mistake myself initially when we had interns from University of Essex with whom closely collaborate with. And the interns of Chinese origin in the team meetings would hardly contribute. But when we encouraged them to do so, then the whole dynamics changed. So, but beforehand, I was thinking, are they not interested? Are we saying something wrong? Is this a company that they don't like? It wasn't. It was simply because they needed the meeting leaders' permission to contribute. So being aware of all these factors will lead happy teams, better working for everyone. And much better results for the customers, of course. The, the, it's a really interesting example you share. I have a client in Singapore and Hong Kong. And when I've gone over there and worked with their teams, one of the first things that struck me that the first meeting or the first uh, session I, I worked with them is that they have very much a split team. I don't know if it's 50-50, but a good proportion are Westerner expats who have moved over to Asia to work, and right. the, the other proportion, Hong Kong Chinese, Singapore Chinese, depending on which office they're in. But I would assume predominantly from that city in, in which they're, they're, they're based. And in those early sessions, what we found was exactly what you've said, that the, the Western workers were very vocal, very engaged, and really dominating the conversation. And the Chinese origin staff were very quiet and very reserved and actually didn't respond even that well to encouragement. Yeah, it yeah. took a lot of work. We ran an exercise with them where we got them into groups of three, where at least one in each group was a Western and one in each group was, was from the East. Right. And we got them to talk to each other about their own experience of working with the other culture. And that was really powerful. But I wondered in that case if there was more at play than just East versus West in terms of cultures. I'm, I, I'm sure there was a lot of that there. But also could it be a question that when you've got people that have travelled halfway across the world and set up a new life for themselves, they are by nature going to be more outgoing and gregarious and maybe opinionated, but certainly more likely to express those opinions than someone who is still working in a job in the city in which they grew up. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I agree. I agree with that, Andy, yeah. So, so you have to balance all of these things. I think it goes back to my question earlier about culture being one, or, or national culture being one part of it, because I would still say that there's an expat culture 
So that, that's not necessarily national in nature, but it is community focused in nature because it tends to yeah. be common amongst the people within that community and transmit in, in the way they engage with each other, having worked with a lot of clients who, who are yeah. from the West, but, but working elsewhere. Um, you, we've talked a lot about some of the qualities that go into cultural intelligence, the CQ that you talked about. I think it, it would it would be useful to actually look at them in a little bit more detail as a list of qualities. So you said at the beginning of our conversation that this can be learned, cultural intelligence yeah. can be learned. Yeah. So yeah. for those of our listeners who are very strategic about the way they learn things, very process-driven, what are the headlines? What are the different areas they need to be thinking about? We started yeah. with listening and empathy. We've yeah. talked about yeah. those. What are our top five or six skill sets, qualities that we need to build yeah. up if we're going to be culturally intelligent? Good question, Andy. I think the most important part is not assuming. I think eliminating assumptions is the most important part. I'll give you an example. I met a, a very good client of mine in Germany, and they are not from Germany. They are from one of the Asian countries. I won't say which one. So we met in Germany. I came from England and they came from their country. We met in Germany in a trade fair, and I wanted to treat them because they are a good customer. You know, they pay on time. They appreciate what we do. We translate their documentation, websites, and so it's a very good, productive relationship. I took him to, to a, a lunch. They said we can't do dinner because of other engagements. So I took, took him to a, a nice German restaurant. We had our meal. And at the time, you know, have to pay the bill. The their manager, there were like five of them, I think. Their manager wanted to pay as well. I said, look, let me take this. And I think I said something like, your money is no good here or something like that. That would be perfectly acceptable in the UK. And uh, so, so I made the payment. But then long after, I could tell the atmosphere kind of changing slightly. They were nice, still nice, but you could see the sparks kind of gone. And then I realized that actually I kind of embarrassed him in front of his team. I, I could have still, you know, let me take it. It'll be my honor to pay. When we receive emails from our clients in Far East. The email never starts, hey, Levant, or hi, Levant. It'll be, dear Levant, I hope you're in good health and your family is well. Then they'll get into the subject. So when we write emails back to them, we follow the same style. We don't say hi, and then just get into the subject like we would do if I was writing to you. Then that was a kind of learning point that, hold on, I thought I did something good by treating them, but that last remark, you know, unintentionally embar I em embarrassed him in front of his staff. So removing assumptions is very important. And the other aspect is that if the team is made of from multicultural, agreeing initially the type of communication that the team will be conducting it. Now, many books that I've read, they suggest low context communication because in high context communication is very sophisticated. It is multi-layered and there are nuances that people need to understand. There are typical conversations. I say, Andy, we've got clients, we are in the same team. Andy, we've got clients coming in on Sunday. Can you make sure you're there to meet them? And you say, oh, that's great. I have my daughter's birthday on Sunday. And I say, oh, great. Happy birthday to her. So can we meet this time on Sunday? And you say, it'll be very difficult. Now, second, your expectation is 
I get the cue in the first one when you say, it's my daughter's birthday. So you're expecting me to say, wow, Andy, sorry, don't worry about it. We'll make alternative arrangements. And if I don't get it the second time, I'm expecting that you will turn up Sunday to meet the customers. And you're saying, oh, thank you for your understanding. So both parties thinking that they understood, but totally different. So removing assumptions and agreeing on the type of communication. So if it is low context, that means we'll be precise, we'll be clear. And please don't be offended because after every meeting, we will confirm what we agreed on so that there's clarity. And when expectations are set from the beginning, it is much easier to manage them for all parties. Because at the end of the day, everybody wants to do their job well. Everybody wants to have a great outcome and everybody wants to work in harmony. So that's, that will be the second thing. What else can I add to this is having an empathy that there's nothing, there's no right or wrong in cultures, just differences. And someone said, oh, I think it is Stephen Covey. There's a quotation, great quotation from him. The differences, I can't remember the exact wording, but what he's saying is that differences actually make us stronger. There's no excitement in similarities. There's, it could be a boring world if everybody thought the same thing, you know, even within our circles, we want to have somebody supporting that team, somebody else supporting this team, somebody likes football, or the others. I mean, I love cycling and motorcycling, but I want to have friends who doesn't like them. Otherwise, it will be quite boring just to talk about the same thing. And how long can you talk about cycling or motorcycling? It will be a boring world. I think these are the things. Being humble is also very important and not thinking that what we the Western culture is the great culture, or from the high context countries, Chinese culture is the greatest. Both parties have to remove those assumptions and try to find out what are the barriers. So if, if I send somebody a report in one hour, they won't say that, ah, oh, Levant didn't read it properly. Or if I receive a, a report from my Chinese colleague a day later, I will not jump to a conclusion that, ah, oh, they've been lazy. Or when there's a high context communication, so it's multi-layered and nuances. People jump to conclusions saying that they are not giving me all the information. They are keeping away information from me. They're so sec secretive. So agreement in first place in teamwork will make life so much easier. Levent, you, you certainly haven't uh, kept any information from us. It's been a, <laughs> a very informative and entertaining episode. And I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for Likewise. joining me on the Connected Leadership Podcast. Thank you. Likewise, Andy, it was a great pleasure that we had this conversation. So thank you so much to, to Levent for joining me on, on the podcast. I found that really fascinating conversation. I hope that you did as well. There are so many layers to this conversation about cultural differences. And I think those key areas of listening, of empathy, of not jumping to assumptions, of humility they're simple to apply. We just have to stop and think about it and then have people that we can turn to who can give us insights that we lack. This is all the, the stuff that I talk about all of the time in terms of understanding where other people are coming from and having the network around you that can really support. So it puts it into a, a really great context. So I hope you found that useful. As always on the Connected Leadership Podcast, I normally have an ask, which is for you to rate and review this, and particularly as we've got newer listeners from the Evergreen Network since we've joined in recent weeks. I have a slightly different ask today. I've been talking to people who really value the podcast, and that always means a lot to me. So do reach out if you're a regular listener. But don't just ask if it's 
benefiting you, but who else might benefit from listening to the podcast? And could it be a resource that you can use with your team? And on top of that, are there other ways that I can help you in terms of the teams that you lead, the business that you work for, and the events that you have in helping to enhance your approach to professional relationships? If there are, then please reach out to me. It's Andy at Lopata. L-O-P-A-T-A.co.uk or visit my website, andylapata.com. But whatever you do, join me again next week for another episode of the Connected Leadership Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and friends, share on social media, and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it. And of course, join us again soon for another interesting interview and great connected leadership tips.